I've got several slides that I want to share with you this morning about worship. And we're going to go uh, through a journey, a very quick journey, through the book of Revelation. There's two main themes in the book of Revelation. One of the main themes is Jesus. The book is a revelation about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done and what he will do. And secondly, the book of Revelation is about worship, worship to God, worship to Christ, who is the Lamb. And so we're going to pick up on some of those scriptures. Now, there are other themes in the book of Revelation. There's the themes of judgment and the coming of the Lord, uh, about heaven and the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of these are important themes, but they connect in one way or another to Jesus, who the, the book is about, and worship our response to him. Now, uh, when we come to the whole idea of worship, is worship a command or invitation? The Bible does say, yes, um, we should worship him, praise the Lord. It has the element of a command with it. But more than that, in fact, much more than that, it's an invitation. It's a response between two people to be between God and his, and his people. Now, God has given all of us certain inner drives, uh, things that we naturally want to, want to do. First of all, there is hunger and, and appetite. We all have hunger and appetite. And what has done, God done to respond to that, that drive or that need? He's created food. Uh, we, we have uh, a need for rest. And what has God done? He's created sleep for us. There is a natural sex drive that is a part of the human family. And what has God done? He's created marriage. Then there's a longing for spirituality. And this is the deepest longing of all. This goes beyond our physical beings into the very soul and the spirit of each of us. And there's a longing that God created within us to know him, to know God. And so in response to that longing, God has created worship. And uh, worship is a, a beautiful and wonderful, wonderful wonderful experience. Uh, we refer to the first part of our service as the worship service. It's, it's worship and then it's preaching, but in a way that's really not properly named because worship is so much more than singing and just giving expression through songs of praise to God. Worship goes much, much deeper than that, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we go through. just want to talk to you for a moment before we get into the book of Revelation about the Holy Spirit and his relationship with us when it comes to worship. Now, there was a, a story in a, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and uh, you will uh, remember this. There was a woman who came to a well in Samaria, and there she saw a, a man sitting beside the well. He was dusty from the trip. Uh, he looked tired and haggard because he had traveled such a long way. 
And he was sitting there by himself, obviously very thirsty, wanting something to drink, wanting to be able to drink the water that was in the well right in front of him. But the water was deep. There was a rope by the well, but he had no bucket. He had nothing to draw water from. And a woman from the village, or actually the, the city, came out. And she was by herself, and it was noon hour. And so she was actually isolated from the other women in the city because the other women would come out as a group in the morning and draw water from the well before the heat came. But they didn't want anything to do with it. She had a bad reputation. She had been with so many men, had so many husbands, and had just been a person of very poor reputation. She was older now, haggard-looking, no doubt. And she sees this man by the well, and uh, comes up to her, him and, asks, and, and the man asks her for a drink. And she said, why are you, a Jew, asking drink of me? And, and uh, the, the dialogue goes on, uh, but I just want to read uh, just one, one statement. Because she started to talk about worship, Where is, which is the right the right religion. Is it uh, in Samaria or is it in Jerusalem? Is it the Jewish version? Is it the Samaritan version? And Jesus said in John 14, verse 23 and 24, a time is coming. In fact, it now has come. It's here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. You can't really worship God at the, in any way that comes close to the measure of your potential to do so without the enablement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you His ability to worship. So it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit that causes you then to be able to respond in worship. And so He said that the time is now, it's here for an opportunity to worship God that transcends just our physical senses or our mental, our mental intellect. It's worship in the Spirit, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and truth. Well, um, Jesus went on to say in John chapter 16, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Often whenever we read the book of Revelation, we read the Bible, we want to know what's going to happen next, what's going to take place. What's this world coming to? Is there, you know, are we are we getting close to the end? And we become fascinated with prophecy, uh, and 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 yet, uh, G- Jesus said, "There's going to come a time when the Holy Spirit is here, and the thing He will do first and foremost and consistently is glorify Jesus." We don't worship prophecy, even though the Book of Revelation is full of prophecy. We don't worship in any way, or spiritual leaders, we worship Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will give you 
the things that will glorify me. Let's go to the book of Revelation. This is a quick tour. Uh, put up a scripture here in just a moment, but before we do, let me read this from Revelation chapter 4. The scene is that John is in the Spirit, he says, on the Lord's day. So that's in chapter 1. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And, and he heard a voice from heaven saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so he, he was in the Spirit. He heard a voice saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So he knew that what was to come to have to do with this person who identified himself in that way. And he, and he goes on and he says, I, 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 I heard a voice say, come up here. And immediately he was in the spirit, he said. This is the beginning of chapter 4. And he, was, he ascended into uh, heaven in the spirit. And he said, I saw a throne. And uh, this is uh, Revelation chapter 4. In the center and around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was a fl like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. They never stopped saying. Now listen said. It's verse 8. Holy, holy, holy. God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, these are weird kind of sounding creatures with you know, all these wings and eyes in front and back. And, and uh, so who, what is that? It almost sounds spooky, but these are created beings, heavenly beings, a, a form of angelic being. And they are in the presence of the Lord day and night. And they never stop saying. Wow, can you imagine? Never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. We often come to church and we'll sing a song about the holiness of the Lord. We'll sing uh, 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 songs about he who was and is and is to come, the Lord God Almighty. But we don't just do it all our lives 24-7. <laughs> but... These creatures, these angelic beings in heaven do that. Now, does that get boring? Does it get laborious? No. <laughs> it's impossible for us to begin to describe what that must be like. To be in the presence of him who is infinite. There is just the constant revelation of, of the greatness and the goodness and, and more about he who is eternal. The one who was and is and is to come. And you go on through that, that book and it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power. 
For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy. You are worthy. Our Lord and God. An intense kind of worship that is so Christ-centered, so Christ-focused on the eternal power and the deity, the holiness, the greatness, the immeasurableness of he who was and is and is to come, the Lord God Almighty. In Revelation chapter 5, we read these words. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures of elders and the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of god sent out into the earth he went and took the scroll from the from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken it the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of god's people now, then we come into this beautiful song, and we'll put it up there in just a second. You see, what, what the picture that John saw was a scroll and had seven seals on it. And the seven seals, rep, the scroll represented redemption. It was something that was commonly practiced in Israel. Title deeds of properties, and some of them were transferred to others through the uh, through various kinds of exchanges that took place in Israel, in ancient Israel. But the only person who had the, the right to be able to break the seals and open the title deed of the land, of the property, was he by whose right it was to do so. He was full owner. And so John sees a, a, this scroll with seven seals and there's a voice that says, there's nobody who's qualified to break the seals and open the scroll and claim the inheritance. And then uh, there was this cry in heaven. And, and then John said, I heard, some, I heard an angel say, uh, behold the lamb uh, that has, or, or behold, uh, oh, I've forgotten how the words go, um, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed to open the seals. So he was looking, John was, for this lion that had the right to, and the image was, oh wow, that's a powerful image. And then I turned and what did I see but a lamb as it had been slain. Referring to Jesus. And he, the slain lamb, has the right to claim the inheritance. An inheritance that was lost through sin. And then the verse says, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. You can go back one. Oh, yes. And open its seals, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God's persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. You see, Jesus broke the seals. He laid claim to redemption and he gave it 
to you and to me. And then he says, I looked and beheld... um, Which is our next number? I might be mixed up. What number is that? Revelation 5.12. Okay. Uh, Just let me get my bearings here. Um, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, that's the Father, and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and forever. And then it goes on to say, the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and they worshipped. What is our worship experience like? Does it come anywhere close to a revelation of Him who has all authority, of Him who is eternal, of Him who is the God who created and redeemed and gives to His people the right to be kings and priests on the earth? What is our worship experience like in comparison to what we've just been reading? Could it be that? One of the things that characterizes a revival church is that it is a church that is founded in a strong, strong sense of praise and worship. And I've been asking for people to come early on Sunday mornings, to come on time, to, to be here, to worship, to participate in worship. And, it, and I've come to realize that all the encouraging I can do will really not amount to anything unless within the hearts of God's people there is a revelation of Jesus. Because you're not here because I ask you to be here. You don't worship because I ask you. It has to be a response in the heart because he asks you. He doesn't force you or command you, but he invites you to worship him. In Revelation chapter 8, it says, And after this I looked, and there behold... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Worship experiences that are so profound that you actually realize that it's, it's the divine holy presence of him who is forever, and all honor and praise and extolling are, are, are belong to Him, and it just so whelms up within your heart. And it's something that's put there by the Holy Spirit. It's not something you conjure, but in your relationship with 
just becomes a natural response to that inner longing that you have to worship. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 17, and this is on the screen here, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is to come, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. And your wrath has come, it goes on to say. The nation were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within the temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of per, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So here in this powerful setting of worship, we see the judgments of God. We see the judgments that come, are coming to the earth uh, that are fearful and awesome. And yet for the child of God, for the believer, we never leave that place of his presence. We are there. In the, in the midst of all of the turmoil that was just described, and yet we're held by him. In fact, as we read earlier, that which was, was brought to the Lord were the prayers of the saints. Your prayers and my prayers are brought as incense to the throne of God. And there they count for something. You might not see it now in all of its fullness, but it's true. We worship him in, in, in spirit and in truth. And as you commit yourself to God and to Christ in worship and service, you must know and I must know that he has already committed himself to us. In Revelation chapter 15, I saw in heaven an marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and the Lamb. <laughs> now, I haven't really focused on this, but up to now... They said, they said, they said, but now it's turned from saying to song. And this is the song. It's on the screen. Great and marvelous are your deeds. Just and true are your ways. King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. I, uh, I read through the book of Revelation uh, two and a half times uh, this week. Uh, when I say half the times, the, the last time I just focused on the worship scriptures. And I was reminded of some of the truths that are there and some of the, the symbolism of trumpets of judgment and the bowls of judgment and then the seals that we talked about on the scroll. And 
and you see the unfolding revelation of God through history and how the world that's been in so much turmoil and sin and evil that so permeates the human family and permeates the earth, there's coming a day when the wrath of God will have been fulfilled, when judgment will have been executed in the earth in all of its fullness. And we sing the songs, isn't it interesting, of Moses and the Lamb. Moses was course the leader of Israel the lamb is the leader of the church both Israel and Gentiles coming together as the church one more scripture from Revelation chapter 19 and I really pick up on this it's verses 4 and 5 the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. And then it seems like everything went silent. That they just cried out to God, Amen, Hallelujah. Amen means let it be. And so they, they had seen the revelation of, of, what, of history as it was up unfolding that would culminate in the marriage supper of the Lamb and, and the judgment where people would go to the lake of fire or to heaven. And then it seems as though uh, a voice came from the throne. Of course, this is the Father. And he said, don't stop praising. Um, it's like in the midst of silence and awe, when there's nothing, there's no words that can form the inadequate expression of the heart in the presence of God, where you're so in awe of Him, who He is and what He's done. And then the, the voice says, don't stop. Praise our God. All you servants, you who fear Him, both great and small. That's the invitation. That's what forms a spirit-filled church. That is what characterizes Christians who are completely devoted to Christ and who try to find adequate expression to be able to praise Him and worship Him. Psalm 86, verse 7 to 9. Let all God's angels worship him. And in speaking of the angels, he says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord, and they will glorify and they will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. So, in speaking of the angel, he, he says, all nations. So he, he directs the angels towards people, towards the church, believers from every tribe and nation under heaven. 
So we come into understanding that, wow, when we're worshiping and praising Him, the Holy Spirit is here to guide and direct that, and also the angels. You might not always see them. Sometimes you may. Uh, the whole the whole revelation, whether it's from the book of Revelation or from the worship literature in the Psalms, is the divine nature of worship. It's not a human response alone. It's a human response propelled by the Holy Spirit, enabled by the Holy Spirit with words and expressions of thought and emotion that are generated from the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of that wonderful, wonderful place, the angelic hosts are dispatched. Psalm 86, verse 7 and 9, Let all God's angels worship Him. Oh, I've already read that. Psalm 89, verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God (laughs) and worship at His footstool for He is holy. Succinct, short, but absolutely profound. Exalt the Lord our God. And worship at his footstool, an indication of humility, of absolute abandonment to he who is worthy. In the Song of Songs, in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, you see this beautiful allegory of God's love for us and his invitation for us to worship. It's the the song of Solomon to the Shulamite woman who he loved. And the, this is taken from this first chapter. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. This is the woman saying this. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. Now these are our friends that are observing this. So this is a threefold response. The first part from the woman, take me away with you, let us hurry. Let, uh, let, let the king bring me into his chambers where there would be the consummation of love. And the friends who are observing say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And then the response again, how right they are. To adore you. This beautiful little allegory, this picture that fills the book of the Song of, so- of Solomon or the Song of Songs depicts the love relationship that we have with Christ. He's poured out his love, giving himself to us. And in response, we say, Lord, bring us into the innermost of your. Bring us into the place where we extol you, where our lives are are a reciprocal response to that love that you've shown us.
I am my beloved, my beloved's. The song goes on to say, and he is mine. And his banner over me is love. So is love a command or an invitation? Well, I suppose it's both. But far more than the former, it's true that the latter, the, the invitation, worship at his footstool, bow before him, extol him, Give him praise. 